Our Old Testament reading this morning comes to us from the book of the prophet Isaiah. It is the 11th chapter, the opening nine verses in that book. And again, I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight is in the fear of the Lord, and he shall not judge by the sight of his eyes, nor decide by the hearing of his ears, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth. With the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, he shall slay the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his loins and faithfulness, the belt of his waist. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf, and the young lion and the fatling together. And a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. Their young ones shall lie down together. And the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole. And the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Here ends this reading. From God's holy word. Our New Testament reading this morning is from the book of the Gospel of Matthew. Beginning of the third chapter, the opening 12 verses about the one who has come to prepare the way for the Lord. The one about whom we studied this morning in our, in our lesson in Sunday school, the child of Elizabeth and Zechariah, who came quite late in their lives, promised by the very word of the archangel Gabriel to Zechariah, who was in disbelief that this could take place, that his prayers and those of his wife would be answered, and answered in such a powerful way as John. I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore clothing of camel's Hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then the people of Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him and all the region along the Jordan, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming for baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, 
We have Abraham as our ancestor, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is laying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to carry his sandals. I will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. This is what the Lord will do when he comes. And he is coming, John says, very soon. Today we mark the second in the season, the second Sunday in the season of Advent, the 4th of December. This is a time of preparation, of preparing our homes, preparing our hearts, of preparing this world around us for the celebration of God's coming to us in flesh. Last Sunday, as you may recall, I preached about this season as being one that acutely reminds us that we live in a time between the times of the already and the not yet. I spoke of the particularly striking sunrises that I had witnessed recently events that silently yet vividly spoke to the power of the sun's light to come into the world and slowly, powerfully, and completely cast out all the darkness and replace it with beautiful, radiant light, a light that illumines all people, all places, all things. How these were, in and of themselves, spectacular occurrences to witness, but that despite their fleeting glory, these dawning skies will pale by comparison to the sights that await when the Son of God comes again in glory to fulfill the promises of God to his people in Scripture. Well, this morning, our Old and our New Testament texts contain more of God's words of promise to his people in the form of prophecies from those upon whom the Holy Spirit was powerfully resting. In the case of Isaiah, this is five chapters after we are told of the solemn ceremony in which he was anointed by agents of and in the very presence of the Most High God to go for him as a messenger to the people. And now he's fulfilling that calling by foretelling of a time when there will be uh, the coming of a new reality, a, a change in circumstance. In our gospel reading this morning, from an age many generations after the words of Isaiah had been spoken, we hear the Baptists cry in the wilderness, reminding us that God has not forgotten the word that he had sent before, and that in fact, the days were surely coming when John himself and those around him would see proof of God's powerful moving of his agenda of judgment, of restoration, and of reconciliation. 
As this short excerpt from the Gospel according to Matthew tells us, John was a rather unusual sight with a rather unusual message. Yet despite that, or perhaps because of that, it seems that he had become fairly popular. Folks from the city were flocking to the country to see him and to hear him, and they were obediently following the path that God had laid out through him. And just when it seemed he had a pretty good thing going there on the banks of the Jordan, then came the religious officials from town to mess it all up. It's obvious that John is less than thrilled to see them crashing this party. There were some of the last folks on earth that he would have expected to respond to an altar call of repentance and baptism. From everything he had seen and heard, they were the ones whom the prophet Isaiah had been sent to in days of old. The ones who were going to have their ears stopped and their minds closed and their hearts hardened. Yet, like Herod Antipas, who ruled a third of this region, the, the region that his father Herod the Great once had before him, the religious leaders who were coming out to John were, were curious about this man of the wild. While the Baptist's diet and dress made him somewhat of a curiosity, I believe the thing that made John the most curious of all was the way that he unashamedly told the unvarnished, unbashed, unbiased truth. His ministry involved proclaiming the truth, the truth about the truth with a capital T, the truth that was coming to his people. How refreshing it was indeed, how refreshing it is even today when someone has the audacity to do such a thing as this. And for folks in positions of authority, those in government and in other large establishments, including the church at times, dealing in truth is often a rarity. Taking a back seat to organizational advancement and self-preservation. Though, as we have been told, the truth can be inconvenient, it is nonetheless, I believe, therapeutic. And that's something I think even the secular and religious power brokers of John's day sensed as well. This is the very thing that tyrants of all ages have feared more than anything else. From the Herodians and the temple leaders in John's day to the autocrats in China, the oligarchs in Russia, and the royal families in today's Mideast. Truth. As puppets of the powers and principalities which pull their unseen strings from beyond, they have always sought to construct and to control their own narrative, no matter how absurd and unbelievable it might sound, while they'll label it and market it as the truth, their version of the truth, which the rest of the world understands to be anything but true, at some point, I, I have to think, that they really don't believe a word of it either, but it has to be the party line 
or the party's over. Sure, it's pretty easy to pick on high-profile figures on the global political stage, but we know that they are not the only ones who are truth-averse. All of us would prefer, if not much of the time, at least some of it, to construct our own reality. I think that has to do with our, our instinct for controlling the environment, but that's just a, an educated guess. The truth about the truth is that it can be truthfully uncomfortable. And that may explain why there's not that much of it to be found. As Billy Joel so eloquently described it decades ago now in a poignant and hauntingly beautiful ballad that he called Honesty, still one of my favorite songs of all time. However, the truth can be quite refreshing and liberating as it turns out, and that, I believe, is why there were so many people curious about and drawn to the ministry of John the Baptist. This past Friday morning, at our community men's Bible study that we have, six o'clock across the river at Hardy's, and you are welcome to join in. Uh, we talked about a lot of things, including how this truth relates to the churches in our nation today. How so many of our churches have traded the gospel of truth for a gospel of what focus groups have told us our present and our potential religious consumers want to hear from us. How the practice of business marketing has been applied and misapplied to a product that we cannot buy or sell and hence control. Jesus didn't care who came to hear him. John didn't care who came to hear him. They didn't tailor their message to their audience. Well, John genuinely seemed surprised that the religious leaders would show up at his remote encampment. He wasn't about to soften his words, to flatter, or even to accommodate them. And the same would prove to be the case when he spoke out directly to the king of the region as he called him out for adultery, which then was a sin. Though John could seem abrasive, I have no doubt that what he did, he did out of love. Love of God and love of his fellow men, women, and children. In the same manner which Jesus would model in a very short time. In fulfillment of the prophecy we heard again this morning from the book of Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, the Spirit of truth would be upon him. And some might say that holding your tongue, not speaking the truth, not saying anything, and thus Risking irritation, confrontation, alienation is an act of compassion for the other on account of the truth, perhaps casting a stigma of judgment upon them. Well, I would argue that not speaking the truth is the far greater act of unlove. And my brothers and sisters in Christ, by God, we know the truth. 
It is the currency of the church. We know that truth is not an abstract idea. It's a non-relativistic, living, breathing Savior who came to us in flesh in a Bethlehem stable. May we never, ever, ever fail to keep telling that truth. For the day that we do, we are lost as a people, as a body, as heirs of the promise. Speak up, speak out, speak truth, and be willing to hear it as well. Yeah, it's probably not what you were expecting to hear in a sermon in Advent as we're building up to celebrate the birth of an inoffensive little child wrapped in swaddling cloths, laying in a manger full of furry, cuddly animals, listening to praises from the shepherds of the region amidst the caroling of the angelic host above. Truth is, I didn't expect it either. But here it is, the truth. That which we know from the words of Holy Scripture and from the mouth of His Word made flesh. This is the very thing that the 20th century Reformed theologian Karl Barth said was that which all Christians long to hear and be reminded and reassured of every Lord's Day as they made their way to church, the truth. So like John the Baptist was wont to do, I invite you to share the gift of truth this year. Some to whom you give it will appreciate it, some will not. Some will cherish it and be thankful, some will seek to return it. It will be doubtless surprising to many. It may even change something in us. That's the dangerous power of truth. And for that we may truly say, Thanks be to God and amen.